Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 57. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host and personal counselor and therapist, Clint Jones. Thank you for keeping me emotionally healthy. How are you doing this week? I'm fine. You know I'm billing you by the hour, right? I do. $450. Okay. Yes. I think it's a little steep. No, that's um, the going rate. Is that? Is that? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean I'm really good rate, at my job, so. Yeah. Yeah, you really are. I had a day, yeah. and Clint got here just, I, I think, 10 minutes ago, and I immediately ranted mm-hmm. at him the contents of at least four days of stress. Yeah. And he took it all in stride, and I'm already feeling better. That's good. I Yeah. I, my wife's had quite a week, too, so I've been okay. that uh, for her, too. So I'm kind of—I was prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and punching bag's the wrong term, but you do very well at just being the, like, the absorption <laughs> material <laughs> that, that just takes on other people's woes. Yeah. And, uh, I go home and then stick myself with pens to, like, relieve— <laughs> That's why you're afraid yeah. of needles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what I would do with those in my yeah. own time. Well, common theme, I always feel like we have, uh, especially the last— couple of episodes. We just had a lot to talk about. So yeah. I want to dive right in. Uh, let's do a little bit of what you watching right off the top. I have one thing because we are um, stressed for time a little bit okay. because, well, we're not really. We could talk for four hours and you could. just have to absorb it out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't have a choice. You no. have to listen. Yeah. You're compelled. Yeah. You can't pause. Yeah. You can't pause. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, What I want to talk about is this new series that's on FX. It's currently on Hulu, too, uh, because they're, like, partnered now. But The Old Man, Mm. which is this new series, and it's got um, the Jeff Bridges, the Jeff Bridges. The Jeff Bridges. And John Lithgow and uh, Aaliyah Shawkat from, you know, from Arrested Development and a bunch of other things. She's fantastic. She's one of those great character actors that you—it's hard to remember the name, but— you you can remember the face every time she pops up somewhere. Yeah, she's been getting like a lot of great work recently, yeah. and I I really enjoy her and everything yeah. she does. Um, but this is like the ultimate like dad show. <laughs> like it's just you know ex CIA mm-hmm. agent who is kind of on the run on like he's been on the lam for like thirty years, and now he's been rediscovered, and now he's trying to flee from the FBI or the CIA that's trying to track him down. And um, it's but it's it's one of those shows. I think the casting has a lot to do with it. The casting is fantastic. And they were really playing with the idea of this man who's been—he's aged, and he's not quite the man he was before Mm. when he went on the lam. And he is, like, now thrown back into the action and trying to survive. And you can see that the years have not been kind to him. And it's, like, playing with his mind because— it starts like this is not a big spoiler because it starts off his wife has passed away and she had um not I don't know if Alzheimer's or uh um some other disease that affected the mind. And so he's really afraid that he's losing mm-hmm. his mind. But is it really just like his past catching up with him, his guilt, or what it what is it that's actually affecting him? So they're huh. really playing with that in interesting okay. ways. So is this like geriatric Jason Bourne kind of kind of uh, that's but, kind of a cool idea yeah yeah and um but man Jeff Bridges is doing like they're doing a great job and the relationship great he's fantastic and John Lithgow and their relationship because they have history is really interesting it's something that's really surprised me and it's really subtle but like you know it when you see it and it's really poor when they really do a really good job at casting the younger versions of John Lithgow mm-hmm. and Jeff Bridges. Oh, so like okay. it's like, oh man, they did like they're 
doing subtle things to their voices, like like just the performances. Um, but it really works. And um, I'm really appreciate that more than some of the de-aging stuff that people yeah. do where that's really distracting. And this is just like did a really good job casting. Yeah. And it's it's really good. Well, and we're going to talk about the finale of Obi-Wan here yeah. in a bit. And I have, I have very few problems with that last episode. But the one problem I have is in all of Hollywood, in all of the country, in all of this planet, <laughs> yeah. you could not find a boy – that looks a little bit like Mark Hamill. Yeah. Like even hair color. Just, just a little bit like Mark Hamill. Yeah. Uh, and and every time that kid popped up on screen, it drove me nuts. I got angry at the show because I'm just like, this is probably some producer's kid. Right. And I'm sure this is all very exciting for their family. But millions of people are just like, that's not Mark Hamill. Well, the especially heck? since Mark uh, Hamill kind of looks just like a little boy. Yeah. So you yeah. could just almost pick any little boy yeah. and they pick the one that just doesn't work. Yeah. That's the <laughs> – just give me a reasonable this person could turn into that person. Yeah. Give him a little more swoopy hair, cover yeah. up his face a yeah. bit, and then you're good to go. But yeah. I, oh, yeah. This kid's got like dark brown bowl cut. Yeah. Where, where's dusty moisture evaporator blonde Luke? What the heck? <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll get to we'll that. Get that. Uh, but I also have a short list. I uh, just have two things, but it's funny because mine was kind of a Netflix week mm. because both of mine come from Netflix. The first one is Spiderhead with oh, – okay. um, I started that. You know uh, – Thor yeah. and uh, Chris Hemsworth. Thank you. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller. Um, and uh, I never know how to say her last name, Julie Smollett or mm, mm-hmm. anywho. Um, it is a film. <laughs> Can I just say I watched half of this film? Okay. <laughs> and I just, I, and I was falling asleep and yeah. then I had no uh, yeah. desire to go back. <laughs> it is not weird enough to hook you with yeah. the weird. It is not funny enough to hook you with the funny. It's not dramatic enough to hook you with the dramatic. Yeah. It's a lot of things. Yeah. But it's it's not any of those things mm-hmm. particularly. And so it's, it's harmless. By the end yeah. of it, I was like, okay, I was mildly entertained and, but I was, I was more entertained watching Chris Hemsworth have fun and be yeah. weird and Miles Teller just, you know, doing his acting chops and stuff like that. But it was it was strange. It had a good cast, I guess, but none of them felt like they were starring in the same movie. Yeah. yeah. They all felt like they were in a completely Especially different Especially Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Like because yeah. he's hamming it up. He really is. And he's honestly, it was delightful. Yeah. Uh he's he's the thing that kept me watching. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think that movie would have been pretty boring. Um, but just just watching him. Uh, be a dork mm-hmm. uh, was was really funny, and it it had he wasn't doing the the Thor Ragnarok kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it it just had that. I think he's a, a well versed comedic actor, um, yeah. That that could probably hold up more of a traditional comedy than what he seems to be cast in, which is just serious movies where he occasionally plays the uh, the the comic relief or mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know. Watch it. Don't watch it. I honestly don't think it matters. I was surprised. I I, I was expecting it to be because they're doing these kind of drug trials in mm-hmm. the thing in the movie. I was expecting it to go a much broader, like they're trying all these things and how they're kind of interacting. Yeah. But what they get hung up on, it, like after a while, is so uninteresting yeah. that I was just like, if this is what it's going to be, like, I'm not super yeah. 
enthusiastic about going and watching the rest of this. It never goes bigger. It starts and you're like, oh, this is a satire of big pharma. Yeah, yeah. And then it ditches that. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's just, no, just a kind of mad scientist, a modern mad scientist movie Yeah, with some fairly uh, boring protagonists that have some cliche trauma Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's put them into this program. Uh, So, yeah, take it or leave it, honestly. I'm not mad I watched it at the same time. I'll take that hour and a half back. Yeah. Um, so that was Spiderhead. But the other thing I watched on Netflix, I don't know if you've seen. Uh, have you seen Windfall? No, I have not. Okay. Windfall is uh, primarily uh, Jason Siegel and uh, what's his name from Breaking Jesse Bad? Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. I've been meaning um, to watch this one. And then Lily. See yeah. how bad a day I had? <laughs> <laughs> like actor names I usually do not have an issue with. And right now I can't remember. Anyway, mm-hmm. really good trio cast. There's only four actors in this entire film. There's a fourth character that comes in later on. But it's essentially uh, Hitchcockian, a really classic throwback thriller mm-hmm. with with a weird dose of uh, almost Coen Brothers uh, quirkiness. Lily Collins. And, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and and low-key comedy. But it opens with Jason Siegel sitting on the patio of what you think is his house. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, no, this is a house he's breaking into. Mm. And as he's breaking into this house, the rich couple who owns the house shows up. Mm-hmm. And through a series of, of, you know, kind of a comedy of errors, he keeps trying to leave the house uh, and not have to deal with it. But there's, you know, at one point he goes out to his car and he's home free and he's got $6,000 and no way of being caught. And then he notices a security camera on a tree above his car. Uh, and so it's like he keeps getting dragged back into uh-huh. dealing with these people. And so it just becomes this this kind of um, strange hostage situation. Hmm. But it's it's a very different movie. And I've seen people that love it and I've seen people that just do not enjoy it at all. I actually love this movie. Oh, cool. It's it's doing, in a lot of ways, the exact same thing Men does, Okay, the, the film, yeah. where really what the film becomes about is this woman that's at the center of these two guys, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, just very slowly turns into that. And I, I thought, in a lot of ways, it was actually more effective in, than Men hmm. in exploring and satirizing kind of modern male-female power dynamics. Um, but I, I laughed. It kept me completely glued to the screen. This this will probably, uh, you know, be in my top ten at the end of the year. Oh, man. I was really surprised because I've avoided it for weeks. Yeah. I've known it's there. I just haven't really had interest in it. And um, even the soundtrack was like from an old 50s-style caper. Huh. And it just it, – it, it shouldn't have worked. Hmm. And I, I guess for some people it doesn't. But man, it hit a great balance for me, and and I just I had a blast with it. That's it cool. Was, uh, it was I've been, really good. I've been meaning to watch that one. It's on my list, and yeah. haven't. So now this will give me some yeah. motivation. Well, and I'm really if you do watch it, I'm really curious if you have a different reaction yeah. because again, watching it, I could see where somebody would just be bored by it or don't watch it sleepy. It's it's a slow start, yeah. and there are times where you know it's taking 36 hours for uh, the rich guy to get the money mm-hmm. that they've now agreed to. And so there are times they're just sitting around <laughs> like how to, okay, well, I've got to stay awake because I'm guarding you. Yeah. But I want to be anywhere but here. Mm-hmm. And so it really plays on that uh, that mundane mm-hmm. 
just people sitting in a room. Yeah. And, and I could definitely see if somebody doesn't find that funny, um, that would be really annoying. But I'm I'm laughing. <laughs> so I'm just like, what an absurd scenario that that they're really giving legitimate reasons mm-hmm. as to why this has to keep dragging out. Yeah. Uh, it was just fun. Well, I have uh I really like all three actors mm-hmm. in it, so that gives me a little jumping off yeah. point. So yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that one then. I highly recommend it, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Uh so that brings us to uh what will be, at least for a while, our final, I think, Mandalorian <laughs> minute. Mandalorian minute. So this week was the uh, season finale. I think they've already kind of spoiled the fact that that they want to do a second season of Obi Wan. Oh, okay. Um, but you and I had a uh, a pretty divided love hate <laughs> relationship with this this series at the beginning. Yeah, I loved it. You wanted to to stab it in its stupid face. Yeah. And by episode three and four, yeah. and five. Uh, which we talked about last episode, we had come to a place where I was still really enjoying it. Yeah. I I, I was not in love mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, the honeymoon period was over. Mm-hmm. And you had gotten to a place you realized, I needed a sandwich the a first imbe- time around. Ambivalence. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just at a place where I can watch this thing. Yeah. So that's how we rolled into the finale. Clint, what did you think about uh, the, the final uh, hurrah of Kenobi season one? I think the final episode is definitely the best episode of the whole thing. And I think if it was at the quality of that episode, I would have been, I would have enjoyed the whole season. Like just, I would have enjoyed it. I don't think I would have loved it um, like you were expressing, but I, I did enjoy the last episode quite a bit. And I think a lot of the things they were trying to pull off in earlier episodes worked a lot better. Like the fight sequences had more weight to them. Um, and I was more interested in the character relationships. Um, and they did just, just some cool things like that are kind of fan servicey with the characters, especially with like Darth Vader, but in the moments of it, it, it made sense and it um, kind of propelled the relationships forward in an interesting way and like gave more, I don't know, context to what like what they were going through. And it may, it worked for me. Um, I was glad that they didn't go too far into the Luke stuff. Like they, they kind of, I liked how it was not this grand battle for Luke or anything. It was more just like this family fending off this person trying to come and take Luke away or kill him. And so that was interesting. And I liked the character turn with, um, what was the? Reva. Reva. Um, That was cool. I liked all that. I thought that was very mature of the writers because uh, that was not uh, exciting from that kid or fan service-y kind of perspective. That that had more weight to it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I appreciated that too. So yeah, I, I I enjoyed the last episode quite a bit. I, I still can't say I liked the the whole season. What do you think? I wish that it was very clear to me from the last episode that the writers, one of their chief goals was to take the prequel era Jedi yeah. and transition them into the New Hope uh-huh. Jedi and and Sith that we see. And once I got to episode six. I finally felt that yeah. and felt that that was more um, intentional and pronounced mm-hmm. going from the highly choreographed 
flights of fancy lightsaber fights of the prequels yeah. to that really – and that's what I, I miss when I watch the prequels. Yeah. The lightsaber fights are cool, mm-hmm. quote unquote, but they don't have that emotional and dramatic heft and weight. In the original trilogy, you feel like – and it's stupid – but you feel like those lightsabers weigh something. Uh-huh. Even if it's just the emotion they're putting b- behind it. You don't need to hold a heavy blade. Go stand in your living room and swing your arms around for about five minutes. You're going to get tired and and it's going to start to hurt. And yeah. so it it really conveys that physicality. And better. or the physicality of it or they and they know the uh power of yeah. the weapon, yeah. the what it can do, the damage it can do. So yeah. there there's also like you feel the weight of it and the yeah. control of yeah. what they're doing. And the other yeah, like the earlier it's just a lot of acrobatics for uh no reason, really. And and that's what I loved. Actually, this whole episode had so much more weight to it. Um, even compared to, you know, I enjoyed the the Vader versus Reva fight at the end of uh, episode five. Yeah. But, you know, even stuff like ripping the ship out of the sky. Cool, but a little yeah. too fancy. This this had much more of that grounded weight, and I could really feel the characters. And for the most part, they get rid of all the extras, and you've got these two parallel storylines. You got adoptive mom and dad mm-hmm. uh, protecting their, their son from a much more dangerous threat than they really should be capable of protecting. And I thought the the kind of um the the standoff at the the farm mm-hmm. was really well done. I believed it. They're flipping flower pots and they're doing everything they can to distract and disrupt what this Sith can do. Right. And even then this person is wounded. And so it just felt like the playing field was believable mm-hmm. and it made the stakes higher. It wasn't like Owen and Baru were suddenly gunslingers. Well yeah, especially in how he was fighting it felt yeah. like like he would actually be able to do that. It's yeah. not he all of a sudden has all these great skills right. or anything. Yeah. yeah, like you were just saying. Yeah. But even her, they're hiding and then yeah. shooting. Or uh, when Reva walks into the hut, I mean, she just gets sucker punched by Baru, which bravo, Owen and Baru. It gives me a whole <laughs> new outlook on why they're burned corpses uh, in New Hope. Because uh-huh. I guarantee they put up a fight with some stormtroopers and got killed for it. Well, also they've had a lot of what ten years yeah. to. They knew that something like this could happen, yeah. so they could like have a plan in place. Yeah. So they, I like that they were kind of following into that mode of like, okay, this is what we got to do. And then, and then from the Obi Wan and Anakin storyline, excellent fight. Love the weight of it. Love the conversations they were having. Uh, Ewan McGregor's performance mm-hmm. was incredible, uh, I think. I He brings so much more to that character yeah. than whatever's surrounding in that show. And that's that's been pretty consistent from the beginning. Hayden Christensen, you know, he, he does well, but that's a combination of three different voice actors and all kinds of stuntmen. And, and so He's Vader is much more be, of a— behind the mask yeah. and— yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard for him to screw that up. But Ewan McGregor, that, when he talks to, to, when he talks to Vader, yeah. and then at the end— when he's talking to Leia about her parents, mm-hmm. that just, that got me. Yeah. Uh, those two moments made the whole series worth it. Um, I also really liked during that fight between the, them that the force powers felt like it worked within the context of the universe yeah. outside of like, like you know, the tearing the ship out. Of, like I've already expressed this, that like it just doesn't 
it's really cool, but it does not fit with in the world we have established. And I feel like in that fight, they were um, held to that, like the standard they've already set or the yeah. rules they've set. And it worked. I mean, it was a little bit more like they're bringing down giant, but like that's that could be it, it's explainable. And for and the works. most part, it was drag a rock across the ground and trip somebody, or it was these little almost like what Vader does in Empire when he's hurling stuff at Luke. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's more heightened to a degree, but it's still like in the uh, emotional uh, moment, like you could feel like. It, it, I don't know. It made sense to me. And and the only mildly over the top moment is when Obi Wan gets out of the pit. I was good with that. But then you know Vader turns around, they fight a little bit, and then Obi Wan like floats all the rocks, <laughs> <laughs> all the rocks. Yeah, and it looks cool. Yeah, it was definitely like a like a God mode uh, scene, yeah. and it worked for the emotion. But that was that was probably the only time where I'm like the old man at the beginning of New Hope. <laughs> Did not just lift all the rocks. At least they weren't giant, giant rocks. Yeah. It was just like kind of little like boulders yeah. that he's just hurling. Like if it was like the full on like um, like rock formations yeah. that he was just like like Vader was doing yeah. earlier, um, it would have felt out of place yeah. more. Yeah. So so what did you not respond to? Was there anything in the finale that didn't work for you? Um, no. Overall, I I I it didn't take me out of the, anything didn't really take me out of the moment. Um, but I still had all the baggage of the earlier. Yeah. So it just, it, it just, I couldn't fully invest myself in it. Um, I was, I did see that originally this was all planned as a trilogy of movies, which I really would have been interested to see. I, I wonder if it would have flushed out some of, um, the things that were bothering me, like given more time to some of the things, um, but, oh, and budget would have been higher. Yeah, the budget would have been things. higher, yeah. and like, you know, so I probably wouldn't have been as distracted by background actors, and, yeah. and you probably more like we were talking about how they unleashed the full weight of the empire on them, and it's two, two ships. ships, and it's like they probably could have had more for that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I just, I wish it was the quality is was as good as this last episode. Yeah, yeah. The the only problem I had coming away from it other than that kid does not look like Mark Hamill. <laughs> only problem I had and it's it's not really a problem. I got what they were doing thematically, but it was a very strange thing to have Vader taken to that low of a point in defeat and Obi-Wan not finish him off. Yeah. Um and I got what they were doing. He's showing mercy instead of choosing vengeance. Um, so, so I understood it. I wish I didn't have to think that through as much, but then it occurred to me, uh, cause I ended up watching it a second time. If they would have just, and it's, it's only a 30 second change. If when he starts getting flashes of Luke in danger, mm -hmm. that happened as he was, he had all the conversations with Vader, Vader on the ground. And he's in this moment where, you know, Vader still has fight. It's going to take time, but He's got this. He can win. He can kill Vader. Yeah. Or because now he's getting those flashes of Luke in danger, he can go save the kid. And leaving Vader and not taking that revenge for a thematic return to his original responsibility, I think that would have really – and it's it's literally because he's just flying off planet after walking away from Vader. Yeah. And that's when he gets the visions. It's, a, it's literally a 30-second difference. But I think it would have made it much more impactful – if after all of that, and even after realizing, because uh, I love the whole, like, I killed Anakin. Vader yeah. is a separate person. 
then to have these flashes of Luke in danger and have to make this choice between, okay, do the dark side path and and finish this guy off or do the light side path and return to your original mission and protect the kid, I think would have made him leaving and walking away from Vader and not killing him make a lot more sense. That didn't bother me at all because I was so in the mindset of focusing on he's been so um, fixated on the idea that he's kind of let his friend down or like he he and he had something to do with him turning to the dark side yeah. that um, to get that definitive answer that no, he made this choice for himself. He has killed this mm-hmm. part of himself. You couldn't have done anything. I think that was such a relief for him that that was more the answer he wanted than getting revenge yeah. on him. That that's yeah. what he was more after to know that he couldn't have done anything. Yeah. So that made sense. That's why it worked for me so well. And that's one of those moments I would normally yeah appreciate that there's not a line spelling that out. Uh-huh. But in this case, I felt like you just needed one line of dialogue. Mm. You know, even a Vader just like finish it and Obi-Wan just putting into words, no, this is why I'm walking away. Even if it's just the concept of like, I believe you're, I still, you can say all you want, I believe you're redeemable. I remember Anakin. Mm -hmm. And if I kill you, like, I don't know the Inquisitors. I don't know that they're redeemable. I still believe you're redeemable. Yeah. And I think that would have been a, a cool spin on why he sacrifices himself in episode four and and why he allows Luke to kind of rise up and be the one to go at Vader because he realizes my connection with Anakin is gone. My influence is gone. Mm-hmm. But I still believe there's good in there. Maybe one day his kid can be the one that finally brings it out of him. Yeah. And I wouldn't have wanted all that spelled out, but— <laughs> You know, just just one little line about why why I'm walking away right now. Yeah, because otherwise, it's like uh, getting into a fist fight with Hitler, knowing who Hitler is, and then you're like, "But I'm gonna I'm gonna be the good person and walking away." Like, no, dude, that's Hitler. <laughs> he's he's well, gonna kill a lot more people. Well, he also doesn't have that knowing what he's gonna do in the that's future. True. That he's going to that's create true. this massive weapon that's going to be taking out that's worlds. True. We only know that. Oh, you just sold me, Clint. <laughs> I hadn't connected that. I was using future powers there in yeah. the movie world. Yeah. And at that point, Vader was not— uh, He was like his the, commander of sorts. Uh, yeah, but, but yeah, ship. Yeah, but he's not ruling right. the empire. You're right. All right. Well, <laughs> long story short, uh, just next time, if you're going to put baby Luke in something, just yeah. cast. I don't know. Just go get one of Mark Hamill's grandkids. You know what they Come should on. have done? They should have done all this 3D of uh, this technology and put Mark Hamill's face on a kid. <laughs> I would have 100% been all in for that. I don't care how bad it looked. They finally cracked the code on this de-aging. Yep. <laughs> they just went really far back. Yep. Well, and I think you and I would have been the only people in existence, but I really wish... Rava would have just killed that kid. Oh, and then I- Owen was just like, well, we... We don't want to upset Obi-Wan. We need another kid. And they just went and kidnapped some kid, and that kid looked like Mark Hamill and just happens to have force powers one day. Yeah, that was – that. when we were talking about it earlier, I did say, like, my only note was I wish they just killed little yep. Luke. And then just like, what's this mean for the rest of it all? Okay. Just like, what a ballsy retcon yeah. that would have been. Uh, let's just create a giant yeah. plot hole. Let's, let's just break the internet. Yeah. That would have shut down the internet. Star Wars fans would have been just all the emotions. Yeah. 
and, then and it just, all the confusion. It just jumps into the uh, the um, Marvel multiverse stuff, and they gotta go. They get they get Doctor Strange <laughs> to take them. Josh Brolin as Thanos comes in <laughs> off screen. <laughs> he, yeah, he snaps. I can take care of that. Takes out half the population. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, uh, by the end, it was worth it, uh, and and I came to mildly love elements of it uh-huh. uh, once again. But um, you know, I I think I ranged from uh, like to love. I think just you know, judging what you're saying, you I went from hate from to like, hate to like. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's it's everybody, everybody, everybody's walking away happy ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, today uh, we have four movies that we're going to be covering. We have uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which I have talked about, but it's now hit Disney Plus and Clint has watched it. Mm-hmm. Very excited to hear his impressions. We've spoken not a word of it. Uh, we're also uh, taking a look at David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. Then Nicolas Cage's The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And finally, our Cinetron pick, uh, Baby Cronenberg's uh, Possessor, <laughs> which came out in 2020. Yeah. So let's start with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I expressed my distaste for this movie. You did. The last time we talked. And since then, it's hit Disney Plus, and I watched it again. Mm-hmm. And I had the Obi-Wan moment that you had, mm. where I went from, I think I just needed a sandwich that first time, to, yeah, it's, it's, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. that's It is what it is, and I don't hate it. I don't love it, but... Uh, I'm in a better place. Uh, what did you think? This is this is directed by Sam Raimi, yeah. which you have some some pretty healthy affection for. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of of Multiverse of Madness? Well, you know where I've been with the, all of the Marvel stuff. Yeah, recently. nowhere because <laughs> I have watched all of them. <laughs> I know, yeah, you're you're true. Reluctantly, I trooper. have, yeah. but um, I've just been pretty like cold on most of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe elements have I've liked. I've liked the series that they've done the series is that they've done much more than the movies that have come out recently. This what is this phase, phase four. four? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um so I I I didn't want to, I wasn't gonna see this after your your um you you talking about it earlier in the podcast. Um or at least I was gonna wait for this for yeah. when it pops up for free. free and not go to the theater. Um so I didn't have high hopes for it really because I mean, you're the word on this stuff. And if you're saying <laughs> this is no good, why, why would I think it's any good? Yeah, yeah. But honestly— I feel where this is going, <laughs> and it, man. I think this is the best one. The best I, one what? The best one out of the, this phase. Oh, okay. This you, phase. Not like the best comic no, book movie. No, this, like, this is the best Marvel movie out of the, this phase. of Even better than No Way Home. The Spider-Man multiverse kind of thing. <laughs> you're allowed to say it. It's okay. I don't know. I, I enjoyed that one. Maybe okay. I, I'm thinking more of like Shang. Like so that Shang-Chi was so that was so early on. I well, I'm not even considering yeah. that one. Gotcha. Um, and that they this one is kind of re- they're very related. This one and that one. There's a lot yeah. of thematic things going on, similar in crossover between characters. Yeah. I mean, Doctor Strange is in that one. Um, I'm thinking Shang Chi and Eternals and um, so and uh, what was the other one? Um, Scarlet. Uh, Hansen's the uh, oh Black Widow. Black Widow. I forgot that one. Um, this is my. I really. I actually really enjoyed this. Hmm. Um, I. It took me about forty minutes in to really click into it, and that was just because I think I had a, like you whispering in my ear. 
And so I was really like kind of picking it apart. Yeah. And then there was like a, a moment in the middle where I really get into the flow of the Sam Raimi-ness of it mm -hmm. and how actually weird it starts getting and dark it starts getting that it and I was really enjoying that there was a consistent voice throughout this film that was you could see a somebody who had a point of view uh, most of these feel so flat to me that like you can't even see like a director's voice in them and I really enjoyed that you could like see somebody having fun and doing like had an influence over what was happening rather than just a bigger part of the master plan of Marvel. Um, so that's what really grabbed me. And I, and I like how weird it gets. It gets really weird and dark. And and um, so I really enjoyed it. It was interesting my second time through because I remember when I was ranting about it to you the first time, uh, which is recorded for all to hear, <laughs> I, I remember saying that multiversally, it, it doesn't do that much. Like there's not that much weird. Well, then when I was watching it the second time, that was my takeaway. I'm like, this movie's way weirder yeah. than I gave it credit yeah. for. And I think I had gotten so just sort of down on it um, early on yeah. that it was not registering how uh, at times delightfully bizarre yeah. it can be. And I think that's where Sam Raimi really kind of soars through on mm -hmm. that one because – that's the kind of stuff he's always had fun with, and you can tell he's having fun with it here. My second time was much more just enjoying what he wanted it to be rather than critiquing what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I'm I'm at a better place with it. I still don't like it very much. <laughs> uh, but... I um I was reading with uh, like the Wikipedia for this and they were they did actually a very uh in depth like chronicling of the production on this one mm -hmm. and and they were talking it was about the director and just like how deeply he went into kind of um going through Sam Raimi's like this his Spider-Man and what he did with those and like what his strengths were and then yeah. bringing that into this and like all of other Sam Raimi's <clears throat> other work and then really studying the last Doctor Strange so he could really carry through um like character stuff and just thematic things and um play with those throughout this and there's like and because Marvel is such an its own organism and there's so many things going on at once, like just the pain of like they would have a draft that they were really happy with, but then they find out Spider-Man is going to come out before this. So then they have to go back and rewrite and work with them to figure out what they're yeah. going to do first. So then that makes sense. And that's got to be like such a frustrating thing to be a part. Like yeah. I'm sure it's rewarding, but like to know that you have this thing and you're all really happy with, but then they have to go back and rework it because now it's got to make sense with Spider-Man. And we got it like um, they're, and Doctor Strange is in that, so it's got to make sense. And so that probably is kind of like working with one arm tied behind your back. And so that kind of gives me like just a new perspective on all of this. Just like, man, that's just sounds kind of awful yeah. to like uh, just, ha I don't know, have a vision and a story and then like, oh, okay, we can't do that. We got to cut this hole out. And so it makes – but I, I really enjoyed um, – where there's the, – I was first at the beginning of this, I was trying to also remember WandaVision. So I'm trying to think about um, like thematically and character-wise where they ended up in that. So I'm not saying this is a perfect movie. There was things that bothered me about it. So Because I feel like by the end of WandaVision, 
it kind of had wrapped up her story in a way. And she had come to this place of understanding that her kids aren't real. Like this whole thing was fabricated and she was in the wrong. And so by this, it feels like it kind of retcons all that. And it, it, um, but at the same time, like that all set her on this path. And I feel like this was just the next logical step. And so the second time watching it, it didn't bother me as much. And 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 I kind of was remembering pieces from that a little bit more. And so it was working for me a lot better. Um, and I actually really enjoy that the turn with that, that she went goes from this hero to now she's basically a villain. Yeah, I wish that I, – I think it, it's definitely there. Yeah. I wish they would have put a little more of an exclamation point on this book is corrupting her. Right, right. I think that would have solved yeah. that too. And it's it's totally there. Yeah. And I, I picked up on it much more my second time watching yeah, it than too. my first. Um but but that's something that maybe it just and there's probably a deleted scene somewhere of her struggling with it or something like mm-hmm. that. I can't imagine um, that that they didn't think of that at some right. point. Yeah, yeah. It, it probably cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it was the after credit scene of Wandavision, just much more of that. Like there's something really evil sinking its claws and taking advantage of her, and she's had all this healing and she's yeah. come really far. But now here evil is pushing back in and and undoing some of that or yeah. complicating some of that. And it, that work, it works by the end really well, oh, yeah. actually. Yeah. Well, and it makes her turn yeah. at the end not feel repetitive right. because WandaVision, she's breaking away from her own wants and desires. Yeah. This, she's now fighting a, a supernatural force yeah. and having to do the same thing she did as Wanda, now as the Scarlet Witch. Yeah. And so it is repetitive in that way. It but brings it's... her out of different places, though. Yes. Like the kids, like yeah. her realizing that somewhere out there these kids are real yeah. and just that they bring her out of this this place that she's in, this evil yeah. force that's over her. And, it, it, yeah, it's repetitive, but in the same – it's doing different things with yeah. it, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, and also in a character way, like having to go through the same thing and learning the same lesson, but yeah. it, it from a different angle is interesting. I hope they're learning the right lesson from things like Thor Ragnarok and Guardians. And yeah. that uh, – love this one or hate it. It at least feels like they're really starting to move more into the direction of the same thing Marvel's done with comic books for quite a long time, which is it's okay if there's a different flavor and a different tone and it doesn't tonally or thematically or visually even line up with the Marvel movie that came before it or after it. Yeah, you got to keep the story consistent, but okay, this one feels like Sam Raimi. Yeah, it, it feels like they've learned that lesson from the Ant-Man, Edgar Wright mm-hmm. kind of situation where they used to really resist letting a director put their artistic stamp on something. I hope that this and, you know, like Guardians and and uh, Ragnarok and hopefully Love and Thunder are Marvel branching out and just taking some of the reins off and saying, okay, we trust you as filmmakers to make an interesting film. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it works less for everybody. But, you know, maybe it makes it something more where, okay, well, I don't like the Doctor Strange movies, but I love the Guardians. Yeah. Or I don't like the Guardians, but I love the Captain America stuff or you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I might have also had an easier time because it is a character that's been established for me that I am yeah. like with Doctor Strange that I enjoy. So I mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was starting over in the way I did with like Shang-Chi or um, 
the Eternals. Yeah. Um, but I really, I just, the thing that really grabbed me, like I said earlier, was that there was a clear voice to this one. I like, man, that that Wanda fight in the middle where they're the in the um, alternate reality or the the, the universe where um, with the, um, what are they called? The, uh, oh, the, oh. The group, the uh, <laughs> the group that comes together has got Xavier and um, oh X Men. <laughs> no, 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 not the X Men. Oh, the Illuminati. The I'm Illuminati. Clint, like, come on. <laughs> I could have yeah. got X Men. No, Illuminati. Yeah. I was yeah. slipping my mind. But um, where? How dark that gets. It, like the guy who the what's the tuning Black fork? Bolt. Black Bolt. Man, closing his mouth and his head exploding when he makes a noise. Yes, that is like it gets Visceral. he just kills the, she kills them all yeah. and I really like that there was there's this this universe where he she's just murdered this entire yeah. the Illuminati group. That was even after the first time I was like that whole section was borderline R. Yeah. That was that was really pushing the the PG-13 envelope. Yeah. Uh they went Real dark there. I know. And that made me really excited. I was like, man, this is what it could be if there was, like, they really let somebody loose. And uh, not that I want it to be like, um, oh, what's his name? Deadpool or anything. That can be a little too much sometimes. But just like, I don't know. This is it's hinting at things. It's still family friendly in a way, but it's, it's pushing the boundaries of that. And I love the uh, the the dead Doctor Strange. Like that that whole sequence is really interesting and um, and just visually interesting too. Just yeah. that idea is really cool. And I like that they are playing with some like practical effects again and stuff. And, and, and maybe they're not. Maybe they're just a really good job at the CGI. But I think they did. It felt like little enhancements. Yeah, yeah. Too practical, uh, which is always kind of my favorite when you can yeah enhance but not rely on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we had a mailbag question uh, that I thought works perfectly with this because there's been a lot of talk. I don't know if you've been reading it, but there's a lot of uh, deleted scenes talk and they had a whole alternate third act before the Spider-Man switch. Mm-hmm. And Sam Raimi's been talking about and Kevin Feige's open to the idea of like, wouldn't it be interesting just to release that one day? Oh, uh, yeah. Even if it was just, I don't know how far they got, but even if it was just storyboards and stuff uh-huh. and like, this is this is what it could have been or originally instead of being afraid that that's how minimizes what's there. Yeah. And the mailbag question is from a guy named Justin and he just said what are your thoughts and preferences on uh theatrical, uncut, unrated director's cut uh different versions of different films? I um I am strangely like kind of a purist in a way. So mm-hmm. I, I I like when it, it's a director's cut. Like I like I want to see what that person's vision was. If they're if they're unhappy with like the theatrical cut, like the it, like something like um my one example is uh Brazil. Mm-hmm. Like I that's one of my favorite movies ever. Um and I so I always prefer his director's cut of that film. And but if it's like little things that are really not super noticeable, like they just like, oh, there was this one little scene where of dialogue that's really not adding a whole lot to it. If it's just like stuff that you could see why it was cut out, then I'll just stick with the um, theatrical version. I'm I'm not. But if it's something where the director really has strong feelings about it. I'll usually stick with that one. I was the movie fan that just, I've always loved commentaries. I love the little behind the scenes tidbits. So 
you know, first and foremost, all of that stuff. Can I drop me... a little something on you right now? Sure. I've never listened to a commentary. Never? <laughs> It's a, a, a point that is completely missing from like it's, my movie. It's experience. like yeah, oh, a commentary in a podcast is the same thing. Just one is over top of a movie. I know. I, I just never can get myself to do it. Oh, Clint, they're wonderful. I know. You always you've been singing the praises of it for How years. You've lied to me. <laughs> you misled me all these years I've into never, believing. I've never said anything of the sort that well, I know, but yeah. you let me believe. Traitor. Anyway, sorry anyway, to uh, so one of the things that come up on commentaries a lot of times is you can really hear whether a director has settled on the cut that you're watching because they made artistic choices to shorten or to yeah. cut things out, or if they felt studio pressure. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the line is for me. Yeah. I I love whether it's good or not. I love watching a director's cut. That is somebody finally getting a chance to put the movie out there they wanted to put out there. Yeah, yeah. Even as much as I did not enjoy, personally, the Zack Snyder Justice League. (laughs) I loved watching it as an experience because it was interesting to see – and compare, contrast, and and think of what was and and what that's a pretty extreme example. It's a very extreme because it that even his cut is a four-hour monster that would not have been his theatrical cut, right? Um, I think more of like what you were saying with Brazil or Ridley Scott's original Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. I think that thing has five cuts. Yeah. Um, I enjoy that, even if it's just from the perspective of digging in and and figuring out what could have been Mm -hmm. or what somebody was trying to accomplish or didn't have the time to accomplish. It doesn't so much – I mean, I have strong opinions on each one, but it it doesn't so much matter to me if it works better. Um, I just like the process of it. What I don't like is when a director like George Lucas and yes. others have done it. Yeah. But I do not like when George Lucas or people in that vein come in and completely alter what was and then eliminate what was. Right. I'm all about you know the choice. I'm mm-hmm. all about uh, I want to see what hit theaters and I want to see what a director intended. But don't pretend the original thing didn't exist. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that's the only time I get particularly irritated with it. Yeah, I know. Because I, I'm always really interested in that idea of once you put something out there, it's not yours anymore. Yep. And, I mean, sometimes I, like, <laughs> buck against that idea. Like, it, it's just, like, it's a hard thing because it, you think about all the time and emotion and money and things that you put into something. You would definitely feel like you have ownership of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, it's true. I mean, other people take ownership of it too in a different way that they they could get an emotional um, like connection to it. And then like a George Lucas thing to then like alter that because you think you know best mm-hmm. and uh, and completely get rid of that thing that people have um, been drawn to or connected to. I, I don't know. I think that's a that's a dirty trick. Well, not to <laughs> go at Star Wars again, but it, we're we're in 2022. Yeah, there should be a version of Star Wars that as soon as I hit play, a menu comes up and says, "Do you want enhanced visuals? Do you want deleted yeah. scenes?" And I can check off any or all or none, mm-hmm. and I can watch the original version, or I can see what it looks like when lightsabers look better, and I don't have to watch the stupid Jabba scene because it was never there in the first place, and Jabba right. looks terrible. You know, it just – I should be able to 
to do that. And as a filmmaker, I don't know why you would be afraid of that process. Right. Uh, even if you are like, hey, that thing I did wasn't exactly what I wanted. Yeah, but you still pulled it off. There's still value in it being out there. Especially something like that that was this massive yeah. world-changing hit that like yeah. has changed the how the cinema landscape <laughs> yeah. for the last, what, 40, 50 years, what, yep. 40 years now. And um, – so, but I can understand if it's something maybe like it didn't have a connection at, at the time. Yeah. And then you you know that these things, if I um, put the work in a little bit more, maybe it would gra- grab a, a bigger swath of people to be interested yeah. in, which is never going to be the case. Like there's no way. <laughs> so, but just, yeah, that idea is ridiculous to me. I just rewatched Return of the Jedi. I've loved Return of the Jedi ever since I was a little kid. But... Of all the things in Star Wars that offend me, it is at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, that musical number he shoved in uh-huh. uh, on Jabba's sail barge, and then at the end, changing my beloved Ewok Yub Yub song. I will never <laughs> accept that pan flute monstrosity at the end of Return of the Jedi. I hate it. Yeah. I hate every second of it. Yeah. It, it just—and the fact that I can't watch my Yub Yub dance party— <laughs> I, honestly, you're this just sounds sitting there, stupid, you're just, but you muted at that time and start doing yub yubs over it. <laughs> that has happened. It didn't happen this last time, but there you can just pull it up on on uh, uh-huh. on YouTube and listen to that song. I I have totally watched Return of the Jedi muted and popped the song on just so I could be happy as a child again. It just have you ever hunted down? I know that people have like taken the original from VHS or yeah. or there was I think there's one version on DVD yeah. um and like done a high def like transfer of it have you ever hunted those down yep i've watched them they yeah. i i love it yeah. i wish they were actual mm-hmm. studio quality yeah. you know that's on the back of your mind the whole time that you're watching what essentially looks like a work print yeah because it's it's just so shoddy mm-hmm. uh in quality but it's it's still a cool experience to yeah. to go back and see, uh, and and a lot of times it's like oh man they changed stuff I didn't even remember mm-hmm. you know not bad changes just uh, like what original lightsabers and blasters and the little squares that would somehow fly around Tie Fighters uh-huh. uh, <laughs> right, from right. the mats yeah exactly uh, you know stuff like that that as I, a kid I, I like didn't that. notice but you yeah know, I so. really like seeing that stuff just because it gives me like my mind to makes my mind wander into the process yeah. of it all and yeah. it makes me more excited about it yep. and just like how, how they pulled that off yeah. and uh, the workings of it's really cool well and that brings us to crimes of the future david cronenberg's yeah. latest film i don't know if you've done a lot of reading of interviews with him but essentially he's constructed this sci-fi dystopia world mm-hmm. and his original concept of it was huge and mm-hmm. he had to start this, I would imagine, very difficult process of whittling this down to a story that was more important than this giant weird world that he had come up with in his mind. He's been working on this um, for like 20 years, yep, right? Yep. And it's it's been a process of trying to find the story yeah. in the middle of all of these ideas. And so, you know, that's one of those things where... For this poor man, there's like director's cuts within director's cuts within director's cuts as he's tried to get to to where this ends up. So um, 
just to go through the plot real quick, uh, Crimes of the Future is super hard to explain. So, as the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body begins to undergo new transformations and mutations, growing new organs in some people. Accompanied by his partner, celebrity performance artist Saul Tenser, played by Viggo Mortensen, showcases the metamorphosis of his organs. Meanwhile, a mysterious group tries to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. And if you're saying to yourself, what? Uh, yeah, <laughs> this this is a densely packed and plotted movie. Uh, Clint, what did you think of Crimes of the Future? Well, I, um, I didn't even know anything about this until you had pointed me in the direction of the trailer. I, I was off the radar on Cronenberg for the last yeah. little while. Um, so once you showed me the strange trailer for that, I was so <laughs> excited and so on board. And honestly, it did not let me down in any way. I love this thing. Awesome. I I'm like been I was like when this was like I was um watching this, I was like, man, this is a really good movie year. All of my like favorite like aspects of film have been like represented this yeah. year um in, in different ways. And this This has been a very Clint Jones year. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, like man, I got Mad God last week we were talking about and then this and um but I really like this. I love this. Felt like super classic Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, like it reminded me of like Naked Lunch and uh, um, it's just I mean all of his stuff. Like just his pacing is so interesting. It's just like there's this somber mood to it, and then it's heightened by this strange reality that he's created. And like his use of practical effects was so exciting. Um, like you were saying, heightened. Uh, you were saying earlier about something else, but heightened through this through the digital world, um, uh, and kind of taken to this other level. Um, but I really enjoyed this movie. So, what did you think of it? This is so classic Cronenberg. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, I've I've reviewed when I was at Blu-ray.com I reviewed some Cronenberg stuff and I remember writing about it at the time. It's the idea that he he doesn't make a traditional movie experience. Mm -mm. He makes a, a very different uh, kind of film that's that's not as reliant on narrative. It's much even, more. Sorry uh, to interrupt, but no. even to the degree of like his very straight films that mm -hmm. are kind of like nothing to do with body horror or horror world at all. They they are the same way. They're paced in a different way. They're um, telling a different narrative style than yep. we're used to with most Western films. Yep. Um, so even to that degree, he's just got a different thing going on inside of his head. This. In in no way would I say it's the same kind of film, but it reminded me a lot of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, because it does not take the time to explain how the world works, why it works the way, how it got here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take the time with any of that. What it does is it just puts it on the screen, yeah, almost Clockwork Orange style, mm -hmm. and demands that you keep up. Mm -hmm. And um, that's always an adjustment. When you see a movie like that, Mad God was the same way, where you have to realize, oh, I'm. This is not about me understanding or getting answers. This is about me being introduced to this world mm -hmm. and seeing how these characters in this world are handling whatever the situation is. And it's it's really commenting on a, a lot of things right now with 
with identity and and self-improvement and trying to be something that that maybe uh, the world doesn't see or that you aren't or you don't think you are. There was a lot of that going on. Or just and um, just the idea of like kind of understanding your body and yep. and and yep. that and a different like the changes it's going through yep. you're not expecting. I also really appreciate that he creates characters that are fascinating. Yeah. Just to watch from a performance standpoint. Oh my gosh. What Vigo Mortensen yeah. does in this is wild. Yeah. Kristen um, Stewart, her performance oh is so interesting. All the he he lets his actors have tics. Yeah. And he lets his actors have uh strange personality quirks mm-hmm. and strange uh physicality and and strange all of these things and he really you can tell he he gets actors who can handle it and then he lets them play mm-hmm. um all the stuff Vigo Mortensen's doing with his pain and his throat and his body yep. uh is just it's far more disturbing i think than the the visual gore. I think it's him way more breakfast? disturbing watching him just trying to get his throat to swallow. Yeah, I know. That That's, whole those oof. sequences where he's just trying to swallow is yeah. so disgusting yep. and interesting at the same time. And I'm just thinking yep. about his performance, like him getting into that mindset. It, it's so interesting. And then it's funny you mentioned Brazil earlier, because there were several times in this movie I also thought of Brazil. Yeah. Where it's this world is so complete, and that's another thing yep. I love about what Cronenberg's doing here, and that's why I also thought of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. It's not something where this is a dystopia that just looks like a dystopia mm-hmm. and it's normal people. Yeah. Everything serves this culture that's being presented. They don't even explain the fact that there's never a clean or um, non-dilapidated building or space. Yeah. Even when rich people are meeting, they're meeting in these warehouses and these dingy offices. And you it's kind really, of these places they've found they, they can survive. Uh, you really that, get the sense of this yeah. this this society has been through something. Yeah. And they never say what it is. And it just makes it that much more fascinating. I know. And the and then the things that like I love the setting of this kind of like a little Italian coastal town mm-hmm. that is such an interesting with like the ship rotting off the shore. Yep. And man, those sequences where he's just going to meet with um, the guy who's kind of like, is he kind of like investigating? He's, yeah, he's, he's he's been, I guess, recruited yeah. to, to be undercover yeah. and try to, to give information about what's happening in this underground scene that he's a part of. Yeah, those just, the, cinematography wise, like there's some, outside of just the realm of the weirdness of it. Yeah. There's some really beautiful shots. Like I really love those night shots where they're on that beach by whatever, some yep. dilapidated thing that's rusting. And it's just the color choices. There's like, they're outside of the color choices that we are so used to seeing in film recently, that which are usually very blue and cold. And this is very warm and yellow and 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 set against the weird greens of like the the sci-fi machinery stuff that they're playing with. It's very visually interesting. And this is a movie that starts, I mean, literally starts with a mute kid on a beach being told not to eat anything. And then he holds up in his bathroom and starts (laughs) eating a a trash trash can. can. And then his mother smothers him with a pillow. Yeah. That's how this movie starts. And you're like, first, you're you're so thrown off by that you think this is just going to be 
you could, if you didn't know it was a Cronenberg movie, mm-hmm. you think it's just going to be a weird for weird sake movie. Yep. But though it's a very key part of the plot of yep. the movie and it makes total sense once you're invested in every, the characters and what's actually happening. And yep. to pull that off, like a kid eating a trash can and make it compelling is so interesting. Yep. Uh, and just everything serves the story. Yeah. There's there's nothing wasted. Even those stupid purple bars, which at first I'm just like, okay, what, right. are, what are we saying here? Nope. Yeah. Totally integral to, yep. to what they're doing. And even when it ends, it doesn't really – it doesn't come to a resolution. No. The movie has just finished what it has to say. But the world and the characters go on. And there's, there's this whole – uh, other story that starts to happen in your imagination is to, okay, well, what happens next? I love when movies do that well. Well, also in that m- last moment too, I got a strange like sense of relief for the character because he comes to this realization through this act that yep. he's like, why he's been going through so much pain. And then through this like journey, like small journey he's gone on, he's realized that his, he's been um, forcing his body to, in this way that it's not wanting to anymore. It It wants to evolve. It wants to evolve. He's resisting. Yeah. And he's been through these performance artists, art, uh, experiences that he's been putting on denying his body what it needs by like removing these organs yeah. and stuff. And man, that's so interesting. Well, and even the crimes of the future title, it's, you know, here is uh his body trying to bring him into the future. He's being yeah. given this gift, but it's it's criminal. It's hidden. It's secret. Right. It's you can't go in that direction because that's not where we're going. Even the fact throughout the movie early on there's so many characters trying to dismiss anybody with with these changes as not being human. Right. Like, no, we're human. Yeah. And anybody that has this new thing is not human. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just trying to, okay, humans are changing, there's this denial of that. You know, and whether it's from jealousy or fear or whatever it is, the people who are not changing are are upset at the people who are. And right. it's not even a choice change. It's something that's that's happening in their bodies. And I, I loved, I, I could think about that. I don't think I could articulate it, I mean, but I, I could sit and think about that. You could tie it long. to like politically things oh, that goodness, are happening yes. right yeah. now. And like, even though yeah. the, it's crazy, like just that, yeah. that level of thought, but. And I appreciated that because yeah. I never felt like this movie was taking, it, it was not preaching to me. No, no. It was presenting all of these different views mm-hmm. surrounding what would be a very complicated, uh, you know, circumstance, and just letting the different characters react to them in a natural way that allows you to almost enter into that internal cinematic conversation mm-hmm. and think about okay, where would I be in this world? What would I think of that? How would I handle this? And not like I'm sitting there thinking about it. There was way too much to look at to do that. But yeah, yeah. that's, you can feel somewhere in your brain those things are happening. Well, when you, I mean, he went to, like you're saying, he, he's been working on this for so long and it's part of this bigger world that he had to whittle down. When you put the work into creating such a flushed out world with yeah. all of those different perspectives and um, points of view and how people react in different ways to the circumstances, um, it's going to pay off in the end, and it's going to give you such a rich world to yeah. think about after you see the film or while you're watching it. It's, man, just putting that level of work in is so rewarding. Yeah. And uh, like to, 
in that and in the visuals. It, I yeah, exactly like Mad Max, where where I love when a film can set up and just through showing you things yeah. and new things that you get a sense of the world almost immediately. Um, and you know you're kind of in this alien realm and you know you're um, – maybe you're not fully understanding it, but you know that there's a um, architecture to it. And that's so interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and I can't remember who said it. I was – something I was watching and they were talking about – I don't know if it was some director or um, – Earlier on, like when film started really getting into very strong narrative, when it because film started off, it was very just much a visual media, yeah. and it wasn't so much tied to we have to tell this very structured narrative, and they felt like that was kind of the death of cinema in this way. And I always think about that idea, and this has a narrative, but at the same time, it is very interested in giving you this world visually and i am so um interested in, or so like i don't know i really love that when a movie can pull that off well and we had another mailbag question from a while ago it's from someone named Millie, and she was asking what is it that makes a good body horror movie successful and what is it that makes a bad body horror movie unsuccessful so we've already talked obviously about the good part yeah i don't think we need to to retread that but but where would this have failed? What would make this a bad body horror movie? Because you see a lot of imitation things trying to be Cronenberg, yeah. uh, classic Cronenberg, and just completely missing the mark. Um, well, this is going to kind of jump ahead for me a little bit to Ooh, what we're going to talk about, Possessor. Because <laughs> I was actually thinking about like comparing and contrasting what worked for me in this against that. Okay. Um, and I feel like that one, this one is so much inter more interested in like something happening in the body and the body changing and the horror of that and how people react to that and the world reacts to that. And I feel like Possessor, I, um, there's a lot I like about that movie, but I feel like a lot of the body horror elements of it are just straight gore. And it's just destruction of a body, and in that, and that is not as interesting to me. So shock value versus in this movie, I mean, the, the, there are things that are shocking visually, but they're not there for shock value. No. They serve the plot. Even Mad God yeah. has shocking visuals, but it's serving the the plot rather than just attempting to disgust or disturb. Yeah, I feel like Mad. God is doing it in a way to just show you the fragility of life and mm -hmm. like how we are just these little hairy monsters that are yeah. uh, uh, um, expendable. And then something like um, Crimes of the Future? No, Possessor. Oh, okay. <laughs> I you forgot the title of the movie already. <laughs> no, Possessor. I, I keep forgetting. I want to call yeah. it Possession for some reason. Yeah. Possessor, where it's – and a lot of movies do where it's just gore for gore's sake. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually ever really consider that true body horror. It's just more about shock and, like, dis destruction of a body and, like, how, how gross and – Oh. That is, and I feel like that's the body horror of that movie. I know there's other elements to that movie uh, in the body mm -hmm. horror the realm, but that, as far as just straight horror elements, um, 
the gore aspect never really just grabs me. Yeah. Um, what I'm, I'm, that's the only example I have on the top of my head. But what do you think about? The one that hit me was Mandy. Okay. Um, Mandy I struggled with, and people love that movie. Yeah, I know. Uh, and it has a lot I really enjoy. Me too. And it has a lot I, I even respect. Yeah. I like what it's doing. But there are times it it feels like it is intentionally engaging in gory body horror just for that moment of doesn't this make you sick or doesn't this show you how evil this thing is or doesn't this show you how how sinister what's happening is. Yeah. And I'm not against that, but it it just doesn't have the depth of feeling. It doesn't have that thought-provoking quality to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I love Cronenberg body horror. Even sometimes when it hasn't been as successful, I can at least appreciate that what he's trying to do is put you into a place where you're not thinking of what would happen if your body, you know, went through extreme pain because you were in a car accident. Yeah. He's much more interested in... What would it be like to suddenly be thrust into a situation where your own body's scaring you? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I think true body horror is. The other stuff, I don't even know that it's body horror. I think it's just gore. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really like the idea of metamorphosis yeah. and your body connecting to other things, like, like a mechanical world. And the other thing I'm thinking about that as a good example is Titan. Mm, yes. I think that was a fantastic good example point. of, like, I feel like that is much more successful as a um, predecessor to Cronenberg than um than even Brandon Cronenberg. Yeah. I, I think that's invested, like, Going into uh, much more interesting avenues hmm. to me. Yeah, when it's I hadn't this, even thought of Titan, but you're absolutely when right. When it's this metamorphosis and the body changing outside of you, being having control over it and being scared of that, and even yeah, that, that's so interesting to me. Well, and that's every. I mean, think of how you grow up when you're a kid. Everything's changing. Yeah, yeah. And that's even before puberty. Puberty right. is uh, terrifying. Is probably the wrong word, but when you really step back and look at it. Like you're completely changing into a different human being. Mm-hmm. Every time I go to the doctor, the scary part of it is I'm not in control of my body. My body is breaking down or my body is having a problem right. or or all these things. It's, it's a very real from birth to death uh, kind of experience that everybody goes through where at some point, whether you want to or not, your body is not going to do what it's supposed to do. Well, I mean, that probably goes to like why we treat like the elderly so yep. bad. Like that transformation it reminds us. Yep, it reminds us of that transformation that we're all going to go through yep. into these beings that uh, cannot fend for the like. Yeah. You're, you're sent back almost to the the womb again, yep. and you can't. It's that's scary. I feel like this is our deepest episode yet, Clint. <laughs> So, <laughs> I like you sprinkling these little you, thoughts. I I didn't want to tell you about that. I yeah. wanted to surprise you so we could talk about whether you like that. If it's in the context of like a discussion, yeah. and I can have like a we're already talking, yep. it works. But if like I have to like, oh, name your favorite ten. Like, yeah. I can't do that. And that's what I what I did is I I just took and I took two or three questions. Yeah. Uh, that I thought might relate to yeah. each film, and I have them here ready. If we do them, we do them. If not, I'll put them on another time. Uh, but cool. Good job. All right. Thank you, Clint. <laughs> anyway, that brings us to something that definitely I think does not have weight. So we both liked 
Yes. Oh, I, I very much like Crimes of the Future, but in a completely different way, much more in the way I I really enjoyed Mad God. Okay. uh, Where it just, from a traditional film standpoint, I wouldn't recommend this to somebody who's looking for a a movie. No, I wouldn't either. But But, my my personal taste, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. So that brings us to The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Starring Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal, unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, Nick Cage accepts a $1 million offer to attend a wealthy fan's birthday party. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when a CIA operative recruits Cage for an unusual mission. Clint, I already told you what I thought you would think Will of you repeat Unbearable that again? I want to What re- I thought yeah. is your, your baseline impression would be it is not uh, weird and funny enough to work in the weird and funny direction mm-hmm. as well as I wanted to. And it's not as uh, kind of satirical, serious in the in the other direction that would make it work that way. That it sits in this place in the middle that, that you know, it's it's harmless. It's got some fun moments, but it man, it could have been so much more. Clint, was my prediction correct? You were pretty, pretty dead on. Yes. Um, I don't think I would have been even interested in the serious like very satirical uh, angle if they had done that. But here's my thought for this. Okay. You have, you've decided to do your movie completely centered on Nick Cage, Mm -hmm. who, if you ever watch an interview with him or hear about the weird things that he decides to do, like buy an entire, like a T-Rex skull, (laughs) or there was a, I watched an interview with him on like Jimmy uh, Kimmel talking about, they were going through some of these and like debunking them. And he asked him about, um, there was a rumor that you bought a bat cave (laughs) and he was going through those like, and then, and it was, uh, he's, I think he ended up that that was not true, but even you have all these rumors about this guy and you decide to do like he's one a weird guy. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. And you decide to do the movie where he's just a narcissist and a bad father. Yep. When you could play with all these like mythos that's been like built up around him yep. and just like throw it outlandish, like where he's living in. Oh yeah, I think the one of the other thing was he like lived in like Dracula's castle or something. Yep. Um have him living in Dracula's castle with a T-Rex skull, yeah. and he goes to visit and spelunk in his bat cave. Yeah. And Dude, don't we, even address it. Just no. let it be there. No. You know he does I mean? all this weird stuff. Yeah. Like, he's, like, driving around, like, the <laughs> the Dumb and Dumber movie, like car yeah. that has all the fur of it for some reason. Yeah. I don't know. Just do weird yeah. stuff with Nonsensical. him. And then he has to go, and he's... Um, you could do the same plot, but it's just him re- interacting with a kind of normal rich guy, mm-hmm. and he's this weird rich guy, yeah. and therefore a relationship that forms. Get rid of all of the stupid CIA investigation. That yeah. was I was like understood what they were going for. They're playing through like kind of the history, like his like filmography in different ways. Okay, that's kind of fun. But I would rather just like, I like the, my favorite moments were just them budding up and realizing they have more in common than they yeah. thought they did. And that, that stuff would have worked for me better if every time he was visited by his younger self, yeah. it was from a different movie and right. it was what he needed in that moment. Yep. And so when it became more action-oriented, he was getting visited by 
uh, you know, Pollux Troy from Face Off and, yeah. and Poe from uh, uh, Con Air and things like that. You that would have been so much funnier. You could do Devil Angel on his shoulder where he has nope. a different oh, versions, yeah. like, and they're fighting with each other. Yeah, like Loud I, at heart arguing with yeah, Face like, Off. I really liked those moments. Yeah. Like the, I was really cracking up at the one scene where in the bar and then he like kissed him and he's like, he's a real good smoocher or whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that was so funny. Yeah. Um, and there were some really good moments in it, but yeah, it just doesn't go far enough in either direction or any interesting, like, I don't know, it, to me anyway. Well, and when I say the satirical serious, yeah. uh, what I'm referencing very specifically is, is adaptation. Right. Yeah. Uh, or or being John Malkovich, uh-huh. but it's even more apparent because Nicolas Cage did adaptation. Right. There is a better version of this movie you that already exists. Bring in the adaptation yeah. character. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's like film rights stuff that you got to work through, but like it would be worth it. I don't know how much though, because right. they're constantly showing clips of movies in this thing. That's true. You know, and and I think there's protection when you're just doing yeah. uh, like, like parody or impersonation satire, yeah. or satire. Yeah. So I I don't think this would be a a big rights thing. Yeah. Um, that's true. It just it it really felt again I, I mildly enjoyed it. Yeah. It was fun, but the whole time I was just thinking this could have been so much more. Yeah. This could have been so much more memorable mm-hmm. and so much more out there. I love what you're saying about all the Nicolas Cage rumors. <laughs> Like, don't even address them. Just put them all on screen where he's constantly doing and having or living somewhere weird. And if you know your stuff and you've read the internet, you know, you know what it's referencing. Right. Just surround him with this craziness and, like, imagine if all these rumors were true. Mm -hmm. Who is that Nick Cage? Right. That would be really interesting. Our time-traveling vampire because of that picture from the 1800s or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah I, but I, I I enjoyed their relationship. I yeah. I like Pedro Pascal's performance in it, and yeah. like kind of this lovable like dope of a guy yeah. who's just wrapped up in something he didn't really want to be wrapped up yeah. in. Um, I like that stuff, um, but I'm not interested in that he has to now work for the this as as a spy. No. It's not. It doesn't go far enough and loony enough that it's yeah. really that interesting. And it it felt even that element felt so just stolen from interview with um James Franco and Seth Rogan. Oh right. Where they're the, the yeah, reporter yeah. and producer and they're going to North Korea for an interview. Right. And the CIA tries to recruit them for an assassination plot. Works for that movie. I get it there. Right. But here it just felt like they were like, that was funny. Let's do that. Right. It's such a random – I don't know. I, I totally agree with you. Pedro Pascal, when they're just having uh, either fan moments where he's gushing over Nicolas Cage even for the bad stuff uh-huh. and Nicolas Cage is just totally leaning into it, mm-hmm. self-aware of what's happening, or when they're just talking about scripts or stories, that stuff was fun mm-hmm. and and was really kind of endearing. Um but I found myself coming away from it really enjoying Nicolas Cage yeah. and Pedro Pascal and wishing there were no other humans in this movie. I know. It could have been great if it was some weird, like, indie um, comedy yeah. where it's, like, almost my a dinner with Andre. Yeah. But, like, he just goes and he has to hang out with this rich guy for a weekend. And yeah. he's miserable at first. And then they start really forming this relationship. And then they go on their separate ways. Like, I don't know. That would have been more interesting to me, just their relationship. And 
almost he could go through and like he's asking about all these rumors and he's like no that's not real or this yeah, yeah that's yeah. kind of real like just debunking his his actual life yeah. and he's like and it boils down to he's actually this normal guy who doesn't know yeah. how to connect and he's like had this bad relationship with his wife and he can't connect to his kid that would have been like if it was boiled down to those elements yeah. that would have been satisfying to me where the zanius is around him yeah but at the core is like the Nicolas Cage from The Weatherman or or Matchstick yeah. Man or that yeah. that much more kind of somber, right? Uh, sad, melancholy mm-hmm. Nick Cage. Yeah, I always enjoy that when he's yeah. in that mode. I do too. All right. Well, yeah, I I don't have a lot to say. It's it's harmless. Yeah, it's I don't cute. regret watching it, but yeah, it, I'm glad I didn't drop you know <laughs> twelve bucks at the theater plus eight bucks in snacks and. Yeah. You know, it I think I snagged this on sale on Amazon. I think it was like five ninety nine mm-hmm. on a special for Prime. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll buy it for that. All right. That brings us to our last film, which is Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg, uh, Possessor. And I swear it was an accident. It was a total accident. If yeah. you think we manufactured this, because we hadn't even decided, we didn't even know Crimes of the Future was going to be available. On digital to watch. And Sinatron picked Possessor. Sinatron picked Possessor. And then a couple of days later, Clint texted and he's just like, hey, Crimes of the Future popped up on Amazon. And even after watching Crimes of the Future, until <laughs> I rewatched Possessor, uh-huh. it did not occur to me, oh, we're doing like a, a double Cronenberg, Papa Cronenberg, baby Cronenberg yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, Possessor came out in 2020 and uh, Tasia Voss an elite corporate assassin, takes control of other people's bodies using brain implant technology to execute high-profile targets. Uh, Clint, we had talked before because I, when first we watched this, we did not podcast about it, but uh, it was very clear I liked it more than you did. Uh So this is is your rewatch. This Mm -hmm. is my rewatch. What did you think of, and this is the uncut, version, correct? Yeah, yeah. You watch. What did you think of Possessor? I realized that that was the cut I had seen before. Oh, okay. And, so I'm not even familiar with the other one. Okay. Um, Slightly tamer. Okay. Um, I actually walked away exactly where I left myself. Interesting. Okay. I, um, but I feel like I was able to narrow down why I was feeling the way I felt. I, I'm just going to lay it out. I really love really like <laughs> I'm infatuated with the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. and the end of this movie there's a chunk in the middle interesting that I do not care for at all I really um am uh, Andrea Riseborough the, the actress who plays um Tasia. Tasia I think she's so fascinating like she's a great actor like I like her and Mandy a lot she has such an interesting look she's got I was just gonna say her face is just so Weird, She's but beautiful, like, but interesting. I, but um, oh, like what's this her name? Combination um, of things. Oh. I'm, I'm slipping her uh, her minds. Uh, anyway, she's got this very beautiful kind of alien um, yeah. look to her, and she's so fascinating that when it goes away from her in the middle section of this movie, yeah. I am missing. I want to see her. I don't want to see low rent Jon Snow. I cannot get out of my head that he's not Jon Snow. Every time I see him, I think That's so funny. I always think he was in Game of Thrones. And then I look it up like he wasn't Game of Thrones. Yeah. He's just a lookalike. So I don't I get so bored in that whole section. Like 
I like the idea of um, her of this character getting used to this new body and mm-hmm. like especially being a male body. And those aspects of body horror are interesting to me. Like, but it's not even body horror; it's body swap. Yeah, it's it's more psychological horror yeah. than body horror. I think in those moments. Yeah, I on that. I I wished first time, and it, it was a little more pronounced the second time. I wish they had done kind of the old cinema trick of sometimes you see her as the guy. They do, and when she yeah. looks in the mirror, that's yeah. what you see. But it's much more you're watching her perform, except when you need those moments yeah. of. I, I wish they would have leaned more on that. Yeah, they do um, that a little bit more towards the end, and, yeah. and that's where I get more reinvested in it. Yeah. There's the whole this the whole plan playing out of her taking assassinating this guy. Mm-hmm. That whole up until when she kind of damages the chip mm-hmm. and she's – there's a malfunction and, like, it's the the different um, personalities taking over the body. That's when I get reinvested with the movie. Mm-hmm. But I'm not invested in low-rent Jon Snow at all. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that – it just takes me out of the, the movie, that whole mm-hmm. section. And him just, like – having sex with his girlfriend and all that stuff. Um, like, because there's a whole chunk where it's just like him having normal relationship stuff with It's other- more about, it's trying to imply her experiencing what life physically is as a man. Yeah. And that, um, and if they had done a better er, a job of implying that or showing that, and um, I think I would have liked it better, but mm-hmm. just this other actor taking over just pulls me out when I've, already spent the last 40 minutes or yeah. whatever getting invested with um, uh, Andrea. Hmm. But, man, those for the beginning and the end, I, I think, are super strong. Okay. I actually came way down on this movie. Did you? But it was because I watched it after Crimes of the Future. Okay. And then things I don't think I would have noticed otherwise suddenly were very pronounced to me. Uh-huh. This is a movie about an assassin. Yeah. Crimes of the Future is a movie about humanity and change, and there are these deeper things at work, yep. uh, and everything serves those deeper things. Whereas in Possessor, it's really just about a kind of a neo-future thriller, yeah, uh, and a, a, at most a psychological horror. And it brings it's in almost all a these Nicolans, things. Uh, Christopher Nolan movie, yeah, almost. Yeah. But it, it brings in all these things that. And and I don't want to you know just assume because he's the son that he's trying to live up to dad or or all that. Yeah, but there I don't are get moments that, in this movie yeah. where it it feels pronounced that he's Cronenberg Jr. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe he's I I don't want to make that judgment on him as an artist that yeah. may really appeal to him. Um, but it's just something where I I think if you're going to go for that. You've got to you've got to take what your dad was and bump it up, and do the next thing with it. And I I don't feel like this is the next thing. And maybe that's not him. That's fine. It just I I felt much more disappointed by it after watching Crimes of the Future. Um, Possessor is not a fully realized world. Yeah, it's an idea within a world that has some really unique visuals. And, and some disturbing moments and some interesting characters, but I never felt as if I was living in something other than a movie. Yep. Crimes of the Future, I felt like I was trans... That felt like something that could have been glimpsed in everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. 
like one of these super weird mm-hmm. alternate realities. And I felt like for an entire movie, I just got to go and explore that alternate reality. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think the idea of kind of doing this almost just assassin kind of mainstream story, mm-hmm. um, but in this very Cronenberg-y, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, very low-key way is interesting, but I feel like when you're just relying, like the the horror, like I've already mentioned this, the horror elements are just very intense gore. Yeah. Um, it's very well done, I think, and and I uh, admire it for that, uh, but. Well, like I'm gonna step back for a minute to Crimes of the Future. All of the weird visuals of it are so t- it's reality in this world. It's tied to the world in in it's trippy and weird, but in this it's reality. In this, all of the trippy weirdness is just a um like psychological thing that they're going through. A manifestation. It's a manifestation. Yeah. It has no no, we say weight a lot, but it has no weight because it's just a visual experience these characters going through. Mm-hmm. And that I'm so much more invested when it's a reality in the thing oh. and, it, and it's a something that these characters are all going through together. And I'm always a little turned off when it's just, it, it feels like music video mm-hmm. visuals to me. And I, um, I step back from it a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't have the connection to it when it's like there's a very strange device that is doing operation that looks like a shark. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know, interesting to me. Well, what's interesting to me is that this movie, if you go and look on Rotten Tomatoes and, and things like that, this has higher critical scores. Yeah. And this has uh, higher audience scores yeah. than Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future actually is kind of middle of the road on all that and has gotten pretty panned by some people. And it's it's interesting to me because – and I know film is such a subjective experience. Yeah. But you and I talk a lot about how you'll just respond to something out there. And I struggle because I'm – I'm needing like those footholds to to find my footing and, and to get that grasp of yeah. okay narrative or I need my protagonist or I need somebody to you know bring me into this world in a more comfortable way and not always Crimes yeah. of the Future Mad Max Fury Road these are all movies that they're just so visually and and uh, the way the script works they're so uh, efficient in their storytelling yeah that. It, it works perfectly for me. But even there, you can see between the two of us. And generally, we like – we usually come down pretty similar on a lot of things. Uh-huh. But even then, there's this divide between the the entry point mm-hmm. and the experience that's needed to really invest in something. Um, and I just I, – I don't have a conclusion there other than it's interesting to me that Possessor is so much more – well-received than Crimes of the Future. Well, especially since, because this one, I feel like it has a much clearer entry point mm-hmm. than like Crimes of the Future. Yeah. But I honestly struggle with this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I had a hard time, like I have a hard time getting through it because there's just long stretches where it just, to me, feels like there's nothing significant happening and mm-hmm. I get bored by it. Mm-hmm. And and that might go down to, like I said, with the visuals, they just feel like trippy for trippy's sake rather than uh, having much of a impact on the the world. 
in a way. I think I that's know. another contrast with crimes because in crimes of the future, there are long moments where nothing appears or traditionally yeah, significantly is I happening. Know, yeah. But it is. I know. Even if it's just you're coming to better understand the world or the outlook or a character or a dynamic or a relationship. Um, hmm. I know Possessor what you mean. has much more cohesive from scene to scene to scene. Yeah. It is a more traditionally cohesive film. Crimes of the Future, there are times I laughed out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's funny at times. Oh, yeah. And it really will just take time. Uh, the the two characters that eventually are revealed to have drills. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was wacky and hilarious, <laughs> I know. and I loved it. Yeah, me too. And it felt both out of place and at the same time perfectly in line with what this world would produce. Yeah, and, and, I, if, and if you look back at the characters throughout oh, yeah, the film, totally it's like, sense. oh, that makes sense. And so, so I loved that it could just bounce like that. It almost felt playful. Yep. Uh, for something that was so disturbing and 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 other things at times. And there's a somber weird like quietness to the yeah. mood of it, which strangely I have an easier time than this movie which has mm-hmm. these like um like impacts of violence uh once in a while that um I I don't know. It it, it yeah. I had an easier time with that. I feel like Possessor is more concerned with if I'm getting bored. And it yeah. goes to an old bag of tricks yeah. to help me not be bored. Mm-hmm. Whereas Crimes of the Future could care less if I'm bored. Right. It feels much more like a a fully realized vision. Yeah. And I've got this story to tell. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. But there's a lot here. Take mm-hmm. a look. There's there's more here than you think. It's not just weird characters doing weird things and weird bone chairs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which that's I really, a pretty accurate description. I but. really hope that becomes the new uh, Iron Throne. As people start having, like, you know, you can buy that online. Yeah. Well, and at first I thought the thing, I, and I liked it at first, but I thought that that bone chair looked so ridiculous and comical. And I'm like, this is comic relief. But then thinking through what that chair is doing yep. and what it's accomplishing mechanically, I'm like, oh, they thought this through. <laughs> this is not just a funny visual or yeah. a weird visual. This has, even within this world, a purpose. Mm-hmm. Nothing is just a joke. Yeah. Everything is there for a reason. And I just... And I love the... Love that. Going back to that movie again, I love the, like, little hint that they're talking... Like, some of the... Like, this, these mechanical instruments have been being built for years, that there's older models... And so this yeah. like has been going on in like yeah. and like oh this is the uh, such and such model and it, like the Sark but, da, yeah da, da, yeah da, da, yeah da. this is legendary and yeah. no one has these and so it, and it's just another way of world building that's yeah. uh, so interesting. Well, and that's that's something dystopias don't often have. They don't have that feeling of history. Yeah. Um, again, not to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, but that's one where you can feel the history mm-hmm. behind what you're seeing. Um, even Children of Men, oh, yeah. which is based on a much more it's that's a much more immediate dystopia. Yeah. But even there, you feel, even before they explain it, that the things that have brought this society to this dystopia have been around for a while right. and have had some pretty serious ramifications before you're getting to the story that you're in. Yeah. And I just I appreciate that. And again, wait. But but that's the kind of stuff. We're gonna have that, to get T-shirts made. Oh, I know. 
This has the weight episode. Uh, but that's that's the kind of stuff, you know, especially after watching Crimes of the Future and some of these other things this week. I'm watching Possessor again, and I'm like, wow, this is – it just – everything feels small. Everything feels uh, just sort of contained, and it it doesn't feel big and full. Yeah, and it's one of those movies where I, I feel like – Maybe in a year or two, I'll revisit it mm-hmm. because it's one where I really I want to like it more yeah. than I do, yeah. and I feel like I'm missing something, especially mm-hmm. with how highly it's rated. And I get disappointed with myself that there's yeah. am I missing something that I wish like I was seeing? Um, but after seeing it this time, I'm like I and I felt the exact same way. Like there was no growth at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was like maybe it's just not for me. Um, that's All right, like, so okay. uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, if you are a big Marvel fan, you might hate it, but if uh, if you're just looking for something different in the MCU, I might might enjoy some Sam Raimi-ness in your, your MCU, especially if you like the old Spider-Man flicks. Uh, Crimes of the Future, wow, what an experience. Give it a shot. Don't hate us if you hate it. We warned you, <laughs> uh, but, but we both really enjoyed it. Uh, unbearable weight of massive talent uh, was pretty uh weightless and <laughs> could have could have done without it but you know it was harmless it was fine and then our Sinatron pick possessor uh I feel like I'm sliding downhill Clint is just plateaued and and uh you know we'll see what we think of it in another three years when the next uh Papa Baby Cronenberg movies come out <laughs> so we ready to give Sinatron a spin yeah let's do it Yes, sir. Um, I feel like this is one that I've asked you to watch or okay. to talk about, but um, there's this little indie mo- sci-fi movie that came out. When did this come out? Oh, 2020 as well. Okay. Man. I think I must have made this list in 2020. Probably. Um, but it's called Save Yourselves. It's Save a little yourselves. comedy. Um, let me see if I can find Okay. Who's in it? It's not ringing a bell at the moment. If you saw them, maybe they've been in a lot of like independent. Oh, okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, you did recommend this to me, or you wanted me to watch it. I, had you watched it at the time? Were you recommending yes, I, it? I had, and I, okay. I I watched it again. I made Jenny okay. watch it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Um, I, I think as far as I got was the trailer. Okay. And then I I completely forgot about it, but yeah. I wasn't avoiding it on purpose. So here's the synopsis. <laughs> um, a young Brooklyn couple head out uh, upstate cabin to unplug from their iPhones and reconnect with each other. Blissfully unaware of their surroundings, they are left uh, to their own devices as the planet falls under attack from an alien invasion. Yeah, I'm all about watching this thing. It's really, it's quirky and funny and uh, sweet at times. Um, It's, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. Okay, I'm all about it. So, 
Yes. And I think by next episode, Thor Love and Thunder will have come out. Oh, okay. So I think that comes out next weekend. Okay. And so maybe we can coordinate and check that one out. That'd be um, a good duo. I think yeah. so. A little lighter so. uh, episode after this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and also one that the deck is kind of stacked because you already love Taika. You loved Thor Ragnarok. Right. And this looks like not more of the same, but very much in that vein. And yeah. so – uh, I think that'll be a, a nice palate cleansing comic book movie, probably for us to agree on, but hey, who can say? That's true. Yeah. Uh, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com, and you can also find us on Instagram uh, at Cinebabble, and you can message us uh, at either place. I, I think I like the uh, the sprinkled questions. I think I'm going to do that more. I think that'll make it easier to get more of them covered. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more than we could possibly cover. Uh, without doing tons of episodes, keep sending them. Uh, yeah, we will probably know. have to do a mailbag like episode it. again. Yeah, don't get offended I, if we don't use your question. Just send a better one or I did. another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy when we did the all-mailbag yeah. yeah. episode. That was fun. So uh, next time, uh, hopefully we'll have Thor and we'll see what else we talk about. And uh, I think I think we'll shoot for a, a light episode. We'll see what comes out, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I'm sure there's something dark and weird. And yeah. I, I've been putting together my top 10 list as I go this year. Yeah. And it's it's very – this is a good year. It this is. This is a really good year. I know. Um, maybe not with the number of films that are amazing, but, man, the ones that are – Right. Are both incredible and really different mm-hmm. and, and have point of view. And I just mm. – this is that's going to be a fun episode at the end of the year. Yeah, I think because um, there's just been a lot. So uh, this has been episode fifty-seven. I think that's question what you mark. Said. I think so. Yeah. This has been episode fifty-seven of Cinebabble. Uh, Clint, I feel so much better at the end of this episode than I did at the beginning. Your therapeutic powers are, as always, immaculate and just amazing. I'm so, so glad I could help because when I walked in, I thought I might not make it out of here alive. Yeah. I, I wasn't even shutting up. I was just, man, it was full. And then. And then you said it was my fault. Yeah. And, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. I almost kicked you out of the house. But yeah, and oh, well. I just got there. You stayed and now I feel good about it. That's so, good. All right. Well, we'll talk to everyone next time. Uh, Clint, keep that. Well, I'll talk uh, to you. Well, yeah. Yeah. Keep keep me emotionally stable, Clint. Uh, I'll try. Keep me propped up. Build me a little bone chair. <laughs> and don't tell me for a second that you didn't watch that and think to yourself, because I know you, Clint Jones, don't tell me for a second you didn't think at some point in that movie, I could totally build one of those. <laughs> I might be already. That's what we're going to be sitting in next week. I love it. I even love it's the little be... floppy foot pedals. I know. The, uh, the audio is going to be really strange because we're being moving around. Uh, 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 <laughs> Choking. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you haven't seen Crimes of the Future, that was disgusting. If you've seen it, it was also disgusting. So, But somehow, uh, you really enjoyed it. Yeah, totally. All right. You guys have a good week. Clint, you as well. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>